Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Fort St. Lucie. Let's join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins as he speaks on Awake. Amen. Well, I grew up, those of you guys who don't know me, I grew up with two big brothers. That can be a challenge in and of itself. Matt and Mark. And so the three of us shared the same bedroom in the little uh, wood frame, uh, two bedroom, one bath house that we grew up uh, there in Tampa. So three growing boys in one bedroom. There was a bunk bed for my brothers. And then we stored a trundle bed underneath the bunk beds. And we would pull that out every night. And that's where I would sleep. So even though there wasn't a lot of space in that bedroom growing up, I really enjoyed Uh, growing up with my two big brothers. I really enjoyed it unless they were torturing me, okay? How many of you guys are little brothers or little sisters and you have older siblings that tortured you uh, growing up? How many of you guys were the big brothers that tortured or the big sisters that tortured your little brothers? You guys all need to repent. Every hand is up. Man. And so, yeah, it was fun growing up with my big brothers as long as they weren't, you know, like locking me in the closet uh, as long as they weren't uh, uh, pinning me down and, you know, lowering their spit over my face. Did they ever do that to you? It's like you're like this and all of it gets right here and then they suck it back up, you know. That's what evil big brothers do. And so I had that happen to me a lot. On some mornings, my brothers and I had a hard time getting out of bed. And so our dad would come in to wake us up. Now, my dad served his country for 22 years in the military. And I guess, yeah, we, we should uh, clap for all of those of you who have served your country. But I guess my dad thought that his three boys should wake up the same way he had to wake up in basic training, okay? Because he would come into our bedroom and he put on the light early in the morning and then with the palm of his hand, he would beat on the bunk bed and he would whistle reveille. Now, I'm not going to whistle, but uh, if you don't know Reveille, it's kind of like this. And he would go faster as time went on. I believe if a man had a bugle, he would blow the bugle trying to wake us up. And so his message to his three boys was really clear. And it was this. Awake, O sleepers. Arise from the bed. That's why I put on the light. And as I remember that that sweet memory from when I was a little kid, it reminded me of verse 14 in our passage today. We'll put it up on the screen. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. How many of you guys, really honestly now, how many of you are really happy that Christ invaded your life and he he gave you light, right? Isn't that good news? Such good news. And so... We have so much to be thankful for as born-again believers because as we were taught back in Ephesians chapter 2, there was a time when we were darkness. There was a time when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. There was a time when it came to spiritual life that we were out cold. We were slumbering in our trespasses. We were snoozing in our sins. It was bad news, right? But then we learned the but God Two words, the good news in Ephesians chapter two, verses four and five. I'll remind you of it. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ by grace. Everybody say grace. grace. By grace and grace alone, you have been saved. And so the good news is that the Lord justified us. You remember justification, it's to declare righteous, we who were not righteous, the Lord justified us by his grace. He turned the light on. He awakened, as we learned last week, our spirits. So now we're body, soul, and spirit. He, he, he made that inner, inner, inner part of us alive. And how should we respond to all this good news? I mean, I mean truly, how should we respond to the grace of God in our lives? Now, the Apostle Paul today is going to share with us very clearly how God's people should respond to the grace of God in their lives. We're gonna to start today, of course, in chapter five, verse one. He says, therefore, be imitators. Okay, everybody say the word imitators. Go ahead. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And so now that the Lord has awakened our spirits, how should we respond, okay? Okay, point number one, if you're taking notes, simply imitate God. Imitate God. As dear children, did you see that in verse one? Be imitators of God as dear children. Have you guys noticed that children like to imitate their parents? Normally it's young men imitate their dads. Young women imitate their moms. When I was a young man, my dad and I spent a lot of time, I mean hours and hours and countless hours on the driving range and on the golf course. And during all those hours, my dad would give me all of these tips concerning one of the greatest challenges to all of mankind. You want to hear what the, one of the greatest challenges to all of mankind is? How do you hit a golf ball straight? How do you hit it so it actually lands in the fairway? And I know some of you non-golfers are thinking, I've seen those fairways, they're ginormous. What's the big deal? Well, grab your clubs and come on out with us and we'll see how well you do. Because here, here's what I, the first few years of my golfing, I would go from rough to rough to rough, even though there was this giant fairway in front of us. But my dad, my dad never gave up on me. He'd give me all these tips, and so I would imitate or try to imitate his swing. It was the son imitating the father. And my dad was so patient with me. One time we went out golfing with, uh, it was me, my dad, and two of his buddies. It was my time to tee off at whatever hole, and I remember my dad and his two buddies were standing behind me at the tee box, and I was there, and I teed off, and I looked down, and the ball is still on the tee. And so, no lie, I did it again, and I whiffed again, and I whiffed again. I think I whiffed four times. It was very embarrassing for me. Finally, finally, I hit the thing, and I'm thinking, man, what a great hit, bam! And it kind of just rolls like 20 feet, right? because I was, I was trying to kill it. I was pulling up, I topped it, right? It's supposed to go 250 yards, it goes 20 feet. One time, I hit it into the trees. I, I was very skilled at doing that. And I went into the trees, and when no one's looking, I was so frustrated, I just picked my ball up. If you don't know golf, you're not supposed to do that. 
And I picked my ball up and, ball up and I threw it perfectly right in the middle of the fairway. And it's been a long time, but I think I heard my dad say, great shot, Mike. Great shot. I never told him that I threw it. Now here's what I, I, I remember crystal clear. Out of all the years that I played golf with my dad, whether it was on the driving range or on the golf course, I don't remember that man ever saying one negative word to me. Not one negative word. Here's why. Because my dad believed in positive reinforcement. My dad believed in encouraging other people and building them up. And so finally, after hearing all his tips and imitating his swing, I finally learned after a few years to actually hit the ball uh, pretty straight. But more important than hitting any golf ball, I learned how to encourage people and I learned how to build them up just like my dad. It says in verse one, to be imitators of God as dear children. And you might think, well, how do I imitate God? Well, he answers that question in verse two. It says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and as a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. And so how do we imitate God? We love like Christ loved. Ladies and gentlemen, we will never go wrong if we just learn to love people. What the world needs now is what? Love, sweet love. All right, but what is love? Is it some kind of syrupy feeling like you had when you were in eighth grade and you had a crush on him or her? No, no, no. What is love? It, again, the answer's in verse two. It says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and, what's the word? Given himself for us. Christ loved us by giving his life. And so, you know, maybe immature love is some kind of syrupy feeling that comes and goes, but mature love, biblical love, agape love is a choice to give, no matter how you feel, right? That's what love is. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he what? Gave. gave. So you wanna know what love is? Love is giving. There's two types of people. There's givers and there's takers. And Christ was all about giving. His life was all about giving. His ministry was all about giving. His suffering and death was all about giving, 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 always. And so the Bible was telling us here, the Holy Spirit moving upon Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus and all churches for 2,000 years, he's saying to imitate God. How? By walking in love. What's love? By giving. Imitating Christ who gave. And so here, here's my challenge for you. In every situation that you find yourself in, I don't know what that might be. You apply it to your own life, right? But in every situation that you might be in, I want to challenge you to start thinking in your mind, okay, how can I in this situation be a giver and not a taker? How can I in this situation help and not hurt? How can I in this situation speak life into this person instead of death? How can I encourage and build up instead of tearing down? If you actually start to think that way in all these different situations of your life, and then you actually start, as God gives you ideas, 
giving and helping and building up and speaking life, then what's, what's gonna happen through you is you're gonna begin to imitate God because that's exactly what Jesus did throughout his whole life. And so imitate the Lord. Now, the world has its own definition of love. So we as Christians are supposed to imitate Christ by loving as Christ loved. Okay, but you need to know that the world has its own definition of love and it's not giving, it's taking. Look now at verse three here. Please put your seatbelts on. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. So now that the Lord has awakened our spirits, given us grace, how are we supposed to respond? If you're taking notes, you're supposed to avoid, I'm supposed to avoid a perverted walk. Avoid a perverted walk. He uses the word fornication in verse three. The word fornication is a broad word, and it's, it's very broad. It speaks of any sexual activity outside of marriage. The Greek word is pornea. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Pornea, from which we get our English word pornography. And so the Roman Empire was filled with fornication. In Paul's day, as he's writing um, this letter to the church at Ephesus, you need to know that the culture of his day, it was normal to engage in sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. It's, it was normal back then, and it's the, it's the normal thing to do now. The problem is that fornication is not love, it's lust. The problem is that fornication is not giving, it's taking. It's taking something that doesn't belong to you for your own selfish pleasures, right? I can hear the guy now, oh, babe, I love you so much. Come to bed with me. Hey, you don't love her. You only love yourself. Because right now, if you're in the act of committing fornication, right? You're not saying to that person you're sleeping with, I love you. What you're actually saying is, I love me. What you're saying is I want my pleasure and I'm gonna get it at your expense. And, and I know the culture that we live in, right? This is very countercultural. And some people hear preachers or pastors like me talking this way and they'll say, what's the big deal? We're just making love. No, you're not making love, you're making a mess. You're making a mess because you're pulling that person that you're sleeping with farther and farther away from the person who really loves her, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're, you're pulling yourself from him too by doing what you're doing. And so not only are you making a mess by pulling them away from the Lord, you're making a mess by risking an unwanted pregnancy. And that is not fair to that little innocent child that you may bring into the world. Did you know that about 50% of children that are born today in America are born to unwed mothers? Never been like that in the history of our nation, but we're like that now. Pretty soon, if not already, 
Most of the kids who are born in America will be born to unwed mothers, and the consequences are devastating. They're devastating to our nation. They're devastating to our families. They're, worst of all, they're devastating to these little kids that we're bringing into the world. Let me give you some statistics. The National Fatherhood Initiative says father, fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school as kids with mom and dad in the home. Children who grow up in fatherless homes are five times more likely to be poor. Youth in single-parent homes have significantly higher odds of going to jail than those in two-parent homes. And teenagers, of teenage girls in, in the United States who grow up without a dad are, quote, twice as likely to be involved in early sexual activity and seven times more likely to get pregnant. And so you've got dropping out of school, you've got poverty, you've got jail time, and you've got pregnancy without dad in the picture, and the destructive cycle continues to go and go and go. So no, you're not making love, you're absolutely making a mess. And I understand, once again, that this is countercultural to what we hear on TV and see in the movies and see on billboards and see in social media and see all over the internet. It's the exact opposite message. And people here, again, me, people like me talking this way, and what they'll say is something like, wait, 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 time out. You're so old-fashioned, right? You're trying to tell me that sex out of marriage is wrong? Wake up, pastor. Don't you know tens of millions of people are doing it all over the world? Well, well actually, um, here's what you need to understand, that I'm not saying it, I'm just reading it. Did you see in verse three? Go ahead and look please down at your Bibles again to verse three. God says, and I quote, but fornication, pornea, any sexual activity outside of marriage and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. And so if you have a problem with what I'm saying, please take it up with the author and not the messenger. This is God's word we're talking about. And by the way, the, the reason that you don't hear so much of this anymore is because churches more and more are teaching topically. I have no problem from time to time to go, going with topical messages. But here's what happens. When you take a book of God's word and you go through verse by verse, you can't skip anything. And so words like fornication happen to get into the message. And the Lord is saying, don't let it even be named among you in the church. It's time that the church looks different from the world. But we're always trying to fit in, right? We're always trying to look like the world. And God said, no, don't do that. I'm your daddy. And so I created you in your mother's womb. And so I have the prerogative to make the rules. You don't get a say in it. And so what I'm saying as your heavenly father is don't engage in fornication. They're doing it in the world, fine, but can we do something different in the church? Can we be different in the church? Can we let our light shine in the church? So the bottom line, ladies, is, is if the guy that you're with really loved you, he would be willing to temporarily sacrifice what he wants in order to honor you. And that's what we need to do, right? We need to honor God, 
and we need to honor each other. So if you're engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage, if you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, then it's time to turn to Christ, to turn away from your sin, and to turn to Christ in true repentance. The word repentance, metanoia, means a change of mind. Yes, that's what it means. But it always ends up in a change of life. And so the first thing you have to do is change your mind, and you call it what it is. It's a sin. It's going against what God says in his word. So you change your mind first, and then, by God's help, and you're not going to be able to do it in your own willpower, but with God's help, then you change your lifestyle. You break that off. I'm not saying you got to break the relationship off, but you break the sexual relationship absolutely off. That means that you change your living arrangements. And you say, well, time out. You don't understand. I can't afford to live outside of my boyfriend's home or my girlfriend's home. Listen, if you'll honor God, just let him provide for you. He's able to do that. He spoke the stars into existence. He can take care of you if you honor his word. And so just honor his word. Some of you maybe, everybody please say the word maybe. Some of you maybe need to get married to that person. The reason I say maybe is because that person may be lost and they may not have any desire at all to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that's why I say maybe. But if that person has a heart for the Lord, then yes, go see Pastor Bob, our care pastor. Sit down with him. Talk about these things. We'll help you come up with a plan to honor the Lord in your life. And maybe we'll actually perform a wedding ceremony after six sessions of pre-marriage counseling. All right, verse three. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, verse four. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so now that the Lord has awakened our spirits, how should we respond? If you're taking notes, we should avoid a perverted talk. All right, so verse three, God says through his word, avoid perverted, a perverted walk. Now in verse four, what is he saying? He's saying, avoid perverted talk. That phrase, foolish talking, in verse four, refers to people who have the uncanny ability to take any everyday sentence and turn it into a dirty joke. Some people are really, really proficient at this. And by the way, you hear it all the time um, at the late, night, um, the late night shows. Just everyday common news events and they turn it into a dirty joke, turn it into a dirty joke. Before I went into ministry in my 30s, I worked a secular job all through my 20s. And so, yes, I heard a lot of foolish talking, and yes, I heard a lot of coarse jesting. But you know what? I never laughed at the dirty jokes. And here, here's what happens. When you're not laughing at people's dirty jokes, when you're not using foul language, when you're actually working hard and you're actually encouraging people, after a while, they begin to understand that guy or that lady belongs to the Lord. And you're a witness. You haven't said anything about Jesus Christ. But you're still a witness. You're salt and you're light. And then those that God is drawing, man, he'll open the door for you to talk about Jesus Christ. But it starts with your speech. 
Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And so just like salt adds flavor to food, right? You sit down for dinner tonight, your wife or your husband, whoever makes um, white rice and black beans. You take a, a fork filled and it's like, oh, you know what, this is a little bland. Can you pass the salt, honey? By the way, I recommend you not say that to your wife, but you're thinking, it's a little bland. Can you pass the salt, please? And you put the salt on that thing and you begin, mmm, that's really good, right? And so just like salt adds flavor to bland food, so our speech is supposed to add flavor wherever we go. It's the flavor of grace. We elevate our conversation. We're not trying to fit into the world. We're not trying to be like the world in the way they walk. We're not trying to be like the world in the way they talk. We're, 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 we're different because the Lord lives in our hearts. Look at verse five. He says, for this you know, and by the way, you gotta put your seatbelts on again here. For this you know that no fornicator, that's that person that's engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage in a habitual way. No fornicator or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, what things? In the context, he's talking about fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, etc., etc. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And so because the Lord has come and given us his grace, because he's justified us by faith, because he's put the light bulb on, because he's awakened our spirits, right? How should we respond to the Lord, the grace of God? If you're taking notes, in verses five through seven, he says, don't be deceived by empty words. Don't be deceived by people's empty words. And I would add to that, don't deceive others by your empty words. And I shouldn't deceive people by my empty words. You say, what do you mean by all that? Well, some people make a profession of faith in Christ and they say the little prayer. They say the little prayer, please follow me, I'm gonna choose my words really, really carefully here, okay? But they say the little prayer, but then they continue in the same sin habitually. They, they say the little prayer, but there's no change in their life. And then what happens is they go to some churches and even though some Christians know there's been no change, even though some Christians know they're still involved in the same sin habitually, they're still practicing that same sin, they're given assurance of their salvation. And every time they're given assurance of their salvation, they're being deceived with empty words. But I said the little prayer. Yeah, but your life didn't change. So because your life didn't change, that means You've never been born again. And we should never, ever, ever, we, we gotta be very careful about this, that we never give people false assurance 
of their salvation if they've never been born again. One of the guys I read every single week, I, 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 I read uh, three or four different commentaries every week, but one of the guys I, listen, I read every week is John Phillips. Okay, here's what he had to say this week. A cheap form of Christianity is in circulation today. It's not really Christianity at all. It's just a popular counterfeit. People make professions of faith that entail no repentance, no genuine conversion, no regeneration by the Holy Spirit, and no dynamic new life in Christ. Such people can be deceived into thinking that they are Christians, but they see no need and they feel no impulse from an indwelling Holy Spirit to give up the sinful practices or to resist them. Does that make sense to you guys? So they said a little prayer, right? But the evidence is no repentance, no change of life, habitual sin, right? No victory. And yet someone says, or someone assures them of their salvation. That's deceiving people with empty words. Because here's why. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, we're not saying that, you know, you're going to become sinless. No, that's not, that's not what we're saying at all. In fact, um, the Apostle John, hold your place in Ephesians 5. The Apostle John adds some really good stuff to this topic that we're talking about right now. So please turn to 1 John chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 6. John says, whoever abides in Christ does not sin. And you think, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> does not sin? Again, I'm reading from 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen Christ nor known him. Verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. There's that word again. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as Christ is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God, that's the new birth, the born again experience we talked about last week. Whoever's been born of God does not sin for Christ's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now again, some people read this passage and they think, whoa, wait a minute. I know I'm a true believer, but I still sin from time to time. Is John trying to tell me that I'm not born again? Well, you've got to do two things, okay? You gotta um, interpret the word of God within the context of the whole letter, all right? And so he already said back in chapter one, verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so he's not talking about sinless perfection here. And then number two, you gotta get a really good study Bible. I've been telling you guys this for years, man. You gotta, you gotta go beyond the, the, the pew Bible that doesn't have any study notes and you gotta spend the 50 bucks or whatever, get a good study Bible so that you can read the notes and find out what the original Greek is saying behind some of these sentences. So, so once again, look at verse nine. 
He says, whoever has been born of God, born again, does not sin. Okay, does that mean that that person never sins again after they get saved? No. And if you, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read the study notes in my study Bible. It says, and I quote, here and in similar places in this letter, the Greek verb has the force of a continuous present tense and thus denotes a person's habitual attitude towards sin as expressed in his practice of it. John is not speaking of a state of perfection or sinless perfection in which it is impossible for Christians to ever sin, but he is stressing the fact that a Christian cannot keep, listen, cannot keep practicing sin because he is born of God. And so when you get a good study Bible, you find out that in the Greek language, when, it, when John says, those who are born again, they do not sin, when you dig down into the Greek language, you find out that the, the emphasis of the verb there is in the continuous present tense. And so literally what it is saying is that if you're really born again, you don't continually practice that sin habitually. Does that make sense? That's what God's word is saying here. So what does that mean? That means when somebody says the little prayer, they make a profession of faith in Christ, but they continue to habitually sin, practice sin, and there's no change of life, even though they said the little prayer, one day they'll stand before the Lord, he's gonna look at them, and he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you're gonna say, I said the little prayer. Yeah, but if God's seed was actually in your heart, you would not continue to practice that sin. Those of us who have been born again, John is not saying that we're gonna be sinless. I, I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, right? And then I never sin again. No, that's not what he's saying at all. What he is saying is that you're not gonna be sinless, but you're going to sin less and less and less as the Holy Spirit does his sanctifying work inside of you. And so if that makes sense to you guys, could you please say amen? amen. Please look now at verse eight. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you're the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, some of your translations better say the fruit of the light. For the fruit of the light is in all, here's how we're supposed to be living, goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. And so once again, because the Lord has awakened our spirits by his grace, how should we respond? You're taking notes, we should shine. We should shine as children of the light. There should be a change. And by the way, it's not that you and I are becoming self-righteous and being so critical of everybody else. That's not it at all. Because listen, we were once darkness. We remember where we came from. We remember the pit that the Lord drug us out of. And so no, we're not self-righteous. No, we're not 
being critical, looking down at people, calling them sinners or whatever. We realize that we were once sinners. But by the grace of God, the Lord has changed us. And now because of his light, we're shining. Jesus said, for those who know the Lord, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the, the question you gotta wrestle with in your heart is simply this, are you shining for the Lord? Are you really shining? Or are you just coming to church a couple times a month? Are you really, has there been a change in your life? Are you shining? You know, one of the things I, I love on certain nights, I love looking out into the eastern sky right after the sun goes down because sometimes the moon is just so big and huge, right? So big and huge and, 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 uh, and beautiful and bright. I just kind of, you get captivated by the moon. You just kind of stand there on your, your, your front lawn and you kind of look at it when it's so big. And what, what's happening? Man, it's, it's beautiful light is shining and giving light to a dark world. Has anybody ever seen the moon like that in the eastern sky, right? Now, the next time you see that, remind yourself that the moon has no light of its own. Right? It's not like the moon can stand up there when it's so big and beautiful over South Florida. It's not like the moon can say, look at me, I'm so awesome, look at how bright I am. No, if the moon were honest, it would have to admit that it's just a big rock floating in space. Right? What makes the moon so special? The sun, the true source of light. The true source of light. And it's got itself lined up perfectly so that it's reflecting the sunlight and now it's illuminating a dark world. What's my point? My point is that you and I, as sons and daughters of Adam, you and I, as fallen creatures, have no light of our own. No light of our own. How do we shine? By being like the moon. Right? We line ourselves up with the sun, the S-O-N. We line ourselves up with the sun by in the morning, whether we feel like it or not, as I said last week, we get into his presence, we open his word, we meditate on the word of God, we go to prayer, we begin to pray the word, we begin to pray to our heavenly father, we spend some time in worship before we rush out the door to work. And we get into, we line ourselves up with the S-O-N. And what he does, he does something supernatural. He begins to shine his light. And then for the rest of the day, what are we doing? We're reflecting the light of the sun. And the people in our dark world, what are they seeing? Are they seeing fornication and filthy talking? Are they hearing coarse jesting? No, what they're seeing, verse 9 is goodness coming out of our lives and righteousness and truth. But we know better. We know it's not our goodness and it's not our righteousness and it's not our truth. It's the goodness and righteousness and truth of Jesus Christ reflecting off of us. And some people would be drawn. Hey, some people would be drawn by that light. And you know what other people are gonna do? They're gonna get offended. They're gonna get uncomfortable. And they're not gonna be around, they're not gonna want to be around you anymore. Why is that? Look at verse 13. He says, but all things that are exposed, how many like to be exposed? How many like um, that, that deep inner whatever going on in your life to be exposed, right? So the reason they're uncomfortable is because by all things that are exposed, are made manifest by the light, 
Not our light, the light of Jesus shining off of us onto them, for whatever makes manifest is light. And so what's happening, ladies and gentlemen, is that the light of Christ is shining off your, li- off your life into their life, and you, you're not even talking about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is working inside of them because the Holy Spirit has come to reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and his light is exposing thir- certain things in their heart, and some are drawn, and others are uncomfortable. And the next thing you know, they're gone. Um, when we moved to Tampa, I was three years old. It was 1969. My dad had just retired from the Air Force, and so my mom and dad decided they wanted to live in South Tampa to be close to MacDill Air Force Base so that they could get all the benefits from living in that area. And so they rented a house just up the street from MacDill Air Force Base. They rented the house without knowing something, something that we found out after we moved in. The something that we found out was that the house was infested with cockroaches. And so at night, when you'd get up in the middle of the night and you'd go, whoever was getting up in the family, going up into the bathroom, whenever you put the bathroom light on, the roaches would be exposed. And we're talking about they're on the floor, they're on the counter, they're in the sink. The worst thing in the world is when a roach finds your toothbrush and it just plants itself right on your, the, the, the uh, brush of your toothbrush. That's why, by the way, you got to clean all the toothpaste so hey, they don't have anything to suck out of it. I was just giving you a tip. All right. But anyway, and so they didn't know this when they rented the house, but the house is filled with with roaches everywhere. By the way, um, true story, my mom, growing up, had no problem with her bare feet stepping on a full-grown cockroach. And <laughs> I don't get it, and I definitely did not inherit that trait from my mother. Well, soon enough, my mom and dad and their three boys moved out of that house, and they moved into the beautiful little house in South Tampa that my mom still lives in 45 years later. But the point of the story is this. When the bathroom light was turned on, the roaches were exposed and they scattered. They scattered. When you get serious about your walk with the Lord and when you allow his light to reflect off of your life, it's going to shine into the lives of others. And some people are going to be drawn to Christ and other people are going to scatter. And you're going to think, where did my friend go? How come every time I call, it's kind of cold now on the other side of the line? Why is it they're not answering my emails? How come we're not hanging out anymore? Well, maybe it's because you're shining. Don't take it personal. It's between them and God. Let God do a work in their lives. And so let's look at verse 14 now. Here's our main verse. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. That word simply means carefully. See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's your last point. If you're asleep, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Why? Because the days are evil. Do you see that in verse 16? The days are really evil. It really is getting worse and worse and worse out there, is it not? I mean, did you hear about this fool in Tampa who's running from the police, going 100 miles an hour up the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, stops his car, gets out of the car. The police officer gets out of his car, doesn't know what this guy's going to do. You know what he does? He goes around the passenger side. He grabs his five-year-old daughter and throws her off the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. If that's not pure evil, I don't know what is. ISIS beheading more and more people, terrorist attacks in all these different cities. It's not getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse. And the worst thing the church can do is just fit into the world. The best thing that we can do is get serious about our walk with Jesus Christ. Allow his blood to cleanse us and change us and let our light shine in this dark world because he's coming back really soon. He's coming soon. I don't know the day or the hour. I'm never going to set any dates. I just have a hunch it's going to be in my lifetime. I could be wrong. But I know he's coming. His word says he's coming, and so he's coming. His word said he was going to come the first time. He came the first time. His word says he's coming the second time. He's going to come. And when he's coming... He's not coming as a babe, a helpless little babe in a manger. He's coming as a warrior. And he's going to clean up the mess. He's going to defeat defeat those who are against him. He's going to set up his kingdom. And our prayer should be, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come back because the days are evil. Come back. Take back what is yours. Establish righteousness and goodness and truth once again on the entire earth. Are you ready for that day when he comes back? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com and click on Knowing Christ.